Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 41 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Today I'm joined by Angela Priven, and she is living proof that IBS is not an incurable disease or a disease at all. IBS is a body out of balance and an invitation for change. After solving her own IBS mystery more than a decade ago, Angela trained as a health coach to help others using both science and intuition to help people rebalance their digestion. She works with lab tests, dietary changes, supplementation and the nervous system. Angela specialises in helping people with SIBO as she's found that it's the major root cause of IBS. After years of working with SIBO clients and studying the topic, Angela found herself with a raging SIBO overgrowth and had to learn to conquer SIBO from the inside out. She's gained so much valuable insight from the emotional experience of having SIBO and she managed to eradicate her overgrowth in six weeks. And today she shares with us what she's learned along the way, including her discovery of the IBS personality. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Angela Priven. It's really wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's such a pleasure to be here. And we um, connected with each other uh, actually when I was in the US um, in early uh, 2017 and I had the the pleasure of coming on to do a live uh, kind of recording um, with you and your community. So it's really lovely to have you on my show today and uh, having you tell your incredible story with my listeners. So let's get started. And uh, and I'd love for you to talk about your own journey with um, your own digestive health um, experience and, and also the fact that you are a digestive health coach, which is fascinating and, and where that's taken you and your experience with your own personal digestive health. Great. Okay. So, um, I guess my story really begins when I was a small child and you could see the beginnings of sort of some digestive imbalance and the fact that I was just allergic to everything. I was allergic to my own dog, I was allergic to trees and dust and ragweed and pollen and just had some severe allergy issues, um, which I was given lots and lots of steroids for. Um, and then fast forward to um, when I was a young adult and I got Lyme disease and I was given just a regular treatment of antibiotics and they didn't work. And then I had three weeks of intravenous antibiotics. So I had a shunt 
in my vein and like had to put a bag of antibiotics in my body for three weeks. Um, that was a lot of antibiotics, but it worked for the Lyme disease. And uh, no one told me about probiotics or really any self-care. I was just someone who didn't think about health. Um, you know, I had the allergies and, you know, I would get sick a lot, but never really thought about health, never really had any major health or digestive issues. Um, but the antibiotics really, I think, set up the, the, the story for that, set up the the IBS to happen that about five years later. Um, but meanwhile, I was living in New York City. I was living a very high stress, high pressure lifestyle, not a good diet, lots of drinking, smoking, you know, staying up late, partying, the thing that 20 year old, 20 year olds do. Um, and at the very end of my twenties, I started having digestive issues and I went to the doctor. Um, and they just sort of shrugged their head, their, their shoulders. And they said, well, it's IBS and it's incurable. So sorry, there's really nothing we can do for you. And you know, this is my regular doctor. So I went to the GI and they had nothing to do for me either. And I thought, well, what did they teach you in medical school? <laughs> um, so I was really very much on my own at that point, and I didn't know what to do. I think I just, I gave up coffee and I gave up orange juice, and there's no real internet at that time. Um, this was over 20 years ago. So um, I, I just kind of went on with my life. Um, but at one point, I just realized that it was, it was, things were getting worse, that I really needed to leave New York City. I really needed to make a change. and move somewhere healthier. And I went on vacation to San Francisco and I just, when I saw it here, I just knew this is where I needed to be. So I moved here and that's when I started my healing journey and it was uh, my self healing journey. And I remember just, uh, the internet was kind of starting right, right then. And um, I remember Googling stuff and finding, the, everyone was talking about candida at that point on the internet. So I thought, okay, well, I have candida, so I did a self-candida cleanse, and it didn't really, it made me a little bit better and a little bit worse, didn't really work, and I just sort of dropped it um, and just went on with my life. But when things got really, really bad, I, I went on the birth control pill, and things just went from manageably bad to just like ridiculously bad. I got very depressed, I went on antidepressants. Um, got so bad though, it really motivated me to get very, very serious. So I just spent really the next four years trying everything. Um, I tried naturopathy. So I saw a couple of naturopaths. I, I tried homeopathy. I tried therapy. I tried body work, acupuncture, chiropractic. I did Ayurveda um, and yoga. And then um, I finally settled on the raw food diet because that was another thing that was all over the internet at the time. And um, people claimed it healed IBS. So I was doing that for a while and things were really getting much, much worse. And um, I couldn't really understand why. And I wasn't listening to my body at the time. I just kind of believed what I read on the internet and I just kept doing it. Um, and uh, you know, at one point I just had to admit, you know, nothing I did worked at all. And so at that point I just surrendered and I thought, 
well, maybe it really is in my head. And maybe I just need to start working on my head and my mindset and my emotions. And um, I signed up for this meditation retreat at this raw food retreat center in Arizona. And that is the place that I met my paleo nutritionist, who was the woman who put me back on my road to health. You know, I met her there. I tried so many things, but when I talked to her, I just had a feeling that this, this was going to work. And I came home. We had our first consultation there. And I came home and I, and I started doing her, her diet and her supplements. And within two weeks, you know, most of my symptoms had cleared up. We worked together for about a year. Um, the approach, it was a, it was a very strict paleo diet. Uh, absolutely no sugar, but fruit was allowed almost all fruit. And, um, there was also, I was also on like 60 supplements that were rotating. She rotated them, but, um, th there was a lot of chlorella and seaweed to remineralize my body and chase tree berry to balance my hormones, a lot of vitamins and minerals, no antibacterials, no probiotics. Um, so I don't think this was SIBO the first time around. Um, I don't exactly know what it was because I never got really testing for it. I just met this woman, I did what she did, and it got better. Um, so it really, after, after about a year, I was a new person. I had a new immune system and I just, you know, stopped the diet and started just eating normal food, like a, like a much, much healthier diet, uh, version of the standard American diet. But I didn't avoid anything. I ate gluten, I ate dairy, I ate sugar, I drank alcohol, I had coffee, you know, all the, these usual offenders I had. Um, and, you know, I went on to get married and I started rock climbing and I had, you know, probably a good eight years where I didn't think about my gut. I just want to rewind, though, a little bit and just point out that those, that six, the first six months between stopping the program um, and sort of realizing that I was healthy um, was just, that was a tough emotional time because there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of doubt about, well, is this just gonna come back? I'm just eating regular food. I'm not taking any supplements at all. Is this just gonna come back? What was it to begin with? And I would feel kind of weird during that time, I wasn't like 100%. And so there were definitely things triggering my worrying. But I just remember like six months in having this thought like, I am healthy. I'm totally fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And from that moment on, I felt like 50% better. And just continued on with the next eight years of my life, not thinking about my gut is kind of a miracle and, and, and a blessing, but definitely, you know, I did a lot of hard work to get there. But um, what happened after those eight years is I decided I've always was interested after that. This is such an important experience in my life. I was always interested in digestive health, was, was reading about it. I would talk to people about it, you know, sort of just helping friends out. Um, so I decided to become a digestive health coach. I was so excited about that and went to health coaching school and started my business and my website and just you know, started blogging and the social media and, and, and clients. And 
it was just a lot. And I, I was working so hard. It was very emotional, very stressful. And, um, about six months in, I, I crashed and it was my adrenals. And so I kind of pulled back, started fixing those, but kind of ever since then have been, you know, a little less energetic than I used to. So it was just really kind of managing, sort of managing my adrenals. Um, so I, you know, five years into health coaching, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm learning a lot about SIBO. It seems I work with primarily with people with IBS and it just seems like, I don't know, like 85% of my clients have SIBO. And it seems like this is the underlying cause of IBS with most people. So, um, I, I'm an empath. First of all, I want to say that I'm an empath, um, which is a type of highly sensitive person who feels other people's emotions. And I've always been very, very sponge-like. You know, I, if I'm around someone who's depressed, I'll start getting depressed. Like I don't have very good energy borders between me and other people. So this is really not the best kind of, um, constitution to have as a health coach working with all these people with SIBO. My, my business just really started growing, which was a good thing, but it was also a bad thing because the more clients I had, the more stress I had. It was a lot of responsibility. It was a lot of managing, um, my clients' emotions, managing their anxiety, being their sole support system. It was a lot. It was very stressful. It started getting very, very stressful. So this was basically um, uh, the end of 2016. At the end of 2016, I'm really just starting to feel a little run down, a little worn down, a little burnt out again, overwhelmed. Um, and then there was just this perfect storm, I think, that led to SIBO. There was this stress. And then, you know, one of the ways I started... I was dealing with it is I've always been, you know, in the last five, four or five years, I've been following the paleo diet, but it was more of like, uh, lately it had been more of like the treat version of the paleo diet. So I was just eating a lot of like chocolate covered coconut butter and, you know, bake paleo baked goods and chocolate chip cookies that I would make. Um, so which were healthy cause they're paleo and I, air, and air quotes, but there's still sugar. So, so there was stress and there was sugar and then, um, and then there's an illness. Um, I, I got in December, mid, middle of December, 2016, I got the worst flu I think I've had in a decade. In fact, I haven't had the flu in over a decade. I don't remember what it was like to have the flu. I was the only one that wouldn't get the flu when everyone else would get it. So I was really shocked to get the flu and it was really, really bad. Um, and I got over it naturally. I did a lot of elderberry and some biocidin. I got over it naturally in like four days. I had a cough for about a month, but I think just that like four or five days that my immune system was occupied, it wasn't like taking care of my gut and it wasn't taking care of the possible SIBO that was growing in there. So that diversion, it just weakened my body. And then after that, we went on, it was around Christmas time and we went on a week long road trip. And I went from basically eating home cooked meals, like 95% of the time. I, I love to cook and I cook all my food. 
to eating out all the time and just, you know, not making healthy choices. Um, lots of sugar, gluten, dairy, alcohol, but it was Christmas time, but you know, not my usual. And then coming home from that vacation and just feeling weird and sort of wanting to, and maybe anxious about my health and wanting to overcompensate. And um, I, I think I really overdosed myself on probiotics and fermented food, which is not a wise decision, but again, kind of an emotional one. You know, I just, I kind of knew that what I had done was bad. So I wanted to fix it. I went a little overboard especially since I was not really someone who took probiotic supplements regularly anyway. I mostly got everything from fermented food. So just adding all of that, all those new probiotic supplements in, I really actually think that contributed to my SIBO overgrowth. I really feel that that way. Um, and then what I didn't know at the time is I also had um, an H. pylori infection and so lower, lower stomach acid. So that was also a contributing factor. Um, but I found that out much later, um, after my treatment. So there I was, you know, feeling bloated. I started to get bloated and my, really my only symptoms for, with SIBO were bloating and it seemed to be bloating after high FODMAP meals. And I said, wait a minute. Um, and then some brain fog, which is actually not too bad if that, those were all, all only two symptoms. And, um, I still was in denial that I could possibly have SIBO because I was the digestive health coach. I was the expert who took care of herself and knew how to take care of her gut. And like, this couldn't happen to me. That would be too weird. Um, and also just, I didn't want to have it. <laughs> I was afraid of it, you know? Um, so I took a, a test called the organic acids test. I didn't want to take the SIBO test, even though it was at my access, um, I took this organic acids test and it came back positive for candida. And then it, the, the way it was interpreted, it's not a SIBO test, but you can interpret it uh, for a possible SIBO overgrowth. So after that came back, I just, I just did it. I, I ordered myself a lactose breath test and I thought to myself, well, let's rule this out. And uh, it came back to my surprise, to my shock, uh, positive for hydrogen, but it was really kind of off the charts, uh, positive for hydrogen. And, you know, I've seen a lot of SIBO tests and mine was the highest I'd ever seen. So that did a number on my head and I didn't really understood, understand how this happened or what it meant. Um, I only knew that according to my test results, which were in the hundreds for hydrogen, um, it would take me a long time. It would take me about probably about four months. If you do the math, it's like the antimicrobials. I think it's like 20 parts per million per month with the antimicrobials. So that would take me about four months to get down to 20, which is the normal range. So, um, obviously it was crazy and emotional. Um, but I weirdly had a very, um, good attitude about it because I thought to myself, well, I know SIBO. I understand SIBO. I know what to do with SIBO. And if anybody can do this, I can. So I just had this very sort of positive attitude and it was almost a curiosity 
of saying, of seeing, well, what's this process going to be like and what, what can I learn from it and what can I take away from it to help people? I'm sure this is going to be useful in some way. So I had this like really weirdly positive attitude. And then of course, um, there was a lot of anxiety as well, but I think the positivity sort of won over the anxiety. It was the louder voice. So, you know, I did my, the program, just kind of like the usual program. I did the, um, the antibacterials, the antimicrobials. Um, and I actually really did a very light dosage. I didn't, I, I really wanted to take it light. And I did uh, probiotics the whole time. And I did a prokinetic and I did a digestive enzyme and I ate a low FODMAP diet. And one of the hardest things I think about it was following the low FODMAP diet because, um, I, I have a lot of issues with the diet in terms of it not feeling to me like a particularly healthy diet because it cuts out a lot of healthy foods that are fibers and prebiotics and that your colon needs um, to be healthy. So um, what I would tell myself is this is just temporary. This is not forever. This is not a forever diet. This is a temporary diet. And just telling myself that it was not forever just also kind of helped me with my emotions and resistance around the diet. And I, I was able to embrace it. Um, so uh, I think the part that, you know, that's the basics that anybody can sort of get off, off the internet. But what I did for myself um, just intuitively, uh, which I think was an important part of it was, some, some really radical self-care. The SIBO told me that something I was doing in my life was not working for me. Um, and I really felt like it was around my business and how I worked with my clients. Um, so I did something really drastic. I actually referred all of my clients out to other naturopaths and functional medical practitioners who specialize in SIBO. I mean, these are my colleagues who I learned from and, and highly respect, and I knew that they would be in good hands. So I did that and I just stopped coaching. And I, and I actually gave myself, I said six weeks to do nothing. Um, and I gave myself permission. And, and during that time, um, I did some acupuncture and some sauna just for the detox, to handle the detox. And um, I practiced Qigong, which is a practice I've been doing for about eight years. And breathing exercises while laying down, you know, a lot of resting, uh, walking my dog about five miles a day in the fresh air, cooking and experimenting with low FODMAP recipes. And I did some, I started aqua aerobics for some, for fun about once a week. So I had sort of this self-care routine, you know, where I put myself first, um, which I think is really not um, acceptable in, our, in, in my culture. I live in San Francisco. It's all about ambition and accomplishment. And um, I was just kind of loafing off. <laughs> but it was very important to me to be, I'm either a hundred percent all in or I'm just half-assing it. And I, I just, I didn't want to half-ass it. I just wanted to just go hard on my self-care and that's what I did. And so, um, 
the miracle uh, is that um, I was able to clear SIBO in six weeks. Um, that was kind of my, my, I wanted to test myself at the eight week mark. Um, so I stopped uh, everything that I was taking at the six week mark, gave myself a two week break, took uh, the test at the eight week mark and was actually again shocked to find that it came back completely normal. So it was wonderful that it worked and it was a confirmation to myself that everything I learned did work and that how much taking care of myself paid off. However, <laughs> I wasn't feeling wonderful at this point. Um, and I was, something still felt like it was a little bit off and I was wondering what it was. And, um, just by intuition, I decided to give myself an H pylori test simply because I've had it in the past and I had it and got rid of it, uh, probably like a year or two before. Um, so I took the test and again, expected it to come back negative and it came back positive. Um, and that was really, really hard for me because at that point, um, as opposed to SIBO where I said, I got this, um, when I got this H pylori result, I said to myself, oh my God, is this never going to end? And I think that that thought was so damaging. It's just a simple thought, right? You don't think how much power could just one thought have, but I think it really, um, set the tone for my experience of healing H. pylori because um, H. pylori doesn't really require a diet. It's just um, antimicrobials or antibiotics to deal with it. And I, I'm much more of the natural route. So I just did the, the natural, the, um, I did Matula tea and I also did mastic gum and bismuth and various, you know, and some turmeric and so various supplements that would naturally kill it. And, you know, I, it was much harder. I just finished yesterday. I just finished my 30 day course yesterday. Um, but I have to say the last month has been so much harder than SIBO than treating SIBO was because I think I just wasn't, I did not have the right attitude. I was, I was tired. I was over it. I was annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, a little scared that, you know, if even if I did get rid of H. pylori, it might just come back again. So almost kind of a little defeated. And, you know, I also was aware of all this and have been working on these things also in the process. And, um, you know, right now my status, uh, two weeks with no SIBO, uh, two months SIBO free. Um, still on a low FODMAP diet, going to do it for one more month. It's kind of insurance, um, that it doesn't come back and going to start reintroducing. Can't wait to start eating garlic and onions again and miss them terribly. And my, my beloved cauliflower, um, not going to start with the sugar again. I, I, I think I can, I can do another year without sugar. I really just do not need that in my diet. And, uh, I happily, um, I'm feeling kind of fat adapted right now. I just eat a lot of like good fats and good proteins and nice veggies. So I'm just kind of happy. 
uh, with kind of the low sugar, low carb status of my diet. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, my energy's good. My mood's good. Everything's sort of done and behind me. Um, and I'm just looking forward to ending the low FODMAP diet kind of around my birthday where I take a little birthday trip and, and have some fun. So yeah, kind of a happy ending to the story. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's, it's really, I really thank you for sharing that whole experience because I'm sure that my listeners can really relate to that. And, um, and when you talk about, you know, you know, starting out as a young person with a lot of allergies and, and that whole progression that you've gone through to get to where you are today, it really is a quite an incredible evolution um, that we often have to go through when it comes to um, returning ourselves to health. And I know that this is something that we've talked about um, outside of this podcast uh, interview where, you know, we talk about the gateway to transformation, and I think it's very powerful that um, you were a digestive health coach that hadn't had SIBO, but you'd had your own digestive issues, but you hadn't had technically had SIBO or not that you knew of it anyway, and that you've then had to go through this because it then um, makes it so much more, I think, powerful when any um, practitioner or or allied health professional experiences it firsthand because then they know exactly what their clients or patients are going through. Yeah, absolutely. That was um, the thing that I could never read from a book or a blog or learn from any expert is that experiential, emotional experience of going through it. So I just can connect so much better with the client and, you know, this experience of, you know, that I see, but that I actually had to feel myself of, of this fear of food that comes with this sort of diagnosis, right? Um, you know, uh, my oat test was, you know, telling me that I had problems with, you know, histamines and, uh, you know, all sorts of like different foods where if I just kind of cut everything out, then I would just not be able to eat anything. And, you know, food sort of becomes the enemy and then you have, you have to eat and, uh, it's just, it's, it's a problem. It's more of like, a a problem than a help with this having this um adverse relationship with food so i experienced it too this fear of food but you know what i because i'd seen it so much in clients and because i'd coached so many clients through that i was almost like could recognize it in myself and just kind of shut it down um I don't think most people can do that because most people haven't been coaching other people around this, but it was, I just understood this is, this is a trap. Don't fall in the trap. This is fine. It's going to be fine. And it was, it was, it was always fine. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side. Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, I found it really interesting you talking about your approach to your, your kind of mental approach or the mindset you took when it came to dealing with SIBO versus how you felt with H. pylori. And I think that uh, from my own experience and from what I see with my own clients through my SIBO coaching program is that when we choose to look at something positively or that we believe that it will be easier, it is easier and it is generally a more positive experience because we've kind of given our mind that wash of, okay, this is okay. Um, when we approach it with fear, trepidation, we start going, oh, this is going to be so hard. I'm going to be sick for so long. It's going to be months and months that I'm, ta- I'm doing this treatment. I think we can sometimes, you know, in make that become our reality because that's all we're saying to ourselves. Um, and I'd, I'd love for you to just talk around that mindset piece and how you feel that shaped your SIBO treatment versus your H. pylori treatment. And I've got to say, to hear that you, you um, came back negative after such a short period of time with the treatment, which technically, you know, most of the docs would say, well, that technically shouldn't happen because we know on average most people can will have about a 20 part per million reduction per round of treatment. Um, for you to go for in the hundreds to down to a clear SIBO test in such a short period of time is actually incredible. It's and, miraculous. Uh, yeah, it's, that, it really that's is. All the doctors told me to, so... <laughs> it just happened. I wasn't expecting it either. It just happened. And so your mindset, um, you talked about that, that you approached it saying, okay, this is going to be really interesting. This is going to be very useful for me. And it sounds like you you, you came at it in quite a positive aspect, whereas with the H. pylori, it sounds like you were like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I don't want yeah. to do this anymore. I'm over it. So can you talk about that mindset um, piece for you yeah. and, and the impact that had? Yeah, um, I think it comes down to faith. Um, I had faith in myself. Um, I was a SIBO coach. Based, I mean, I was a digestive health coach, but really I just had become, I just had focused and niched down into SIBO because that's what I've been seeing, was seeing over and over again. And it just was a coincidence that I happened to, you know, be studying this. Um, so I had, I just had a massive um, amount of faith in my knowledge and also just my ability as a healer and my power to self heal. And I, I had been there before and I had done it before and there's no reason why I wouldn't be able to do it again. There what you know there's there was always another another conflicting anxiety voice in my head saying but but SIBO is different but SIBO comes back but SIBO is tricky but 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 right so but I would just you know let that voice talk but I wouldn't necessarily let it run the show right I wouldn't that's not what I was focusing on I was just like well let's see what happens with me and at the end of the day, whatever happens, I think I can handle it. I think I have the, the resources 
you know, the mental, the emotional, the, the knowledge, um, the support to handle it. So I think you just really have to have some faith and the faith could be in yourself. The faith could be in the healer that you're working with. And in this case, that was the healer and myself were the same. And, and I always say, don't self-treat, don't self-treat, don't self-treat. And, you know, and here I I am self-treating, but, um, a kind of a, it's a different scenario. Um, and, and then also, I just, I also thought to myself, if this doesn't work, if I don't know what I'm doing, then I, I had some healers in, in, in the wings waiting to work with, you know, I had, I had a plan B. Um, what I think with the H pylori, I, don't know H. pylori as well. I don't work with it um, as often. Um, So that was much more of a mystery. And just the fact that I'd had it and had come back. And, you know, um, interestingly, my mom has it and and cannot get rid of it. It's resistant. She's tried everything. I've worked with her on it. And um, no matter what she does, and she's done the antibiotics and the natural stuff and the teas and the and the everything. Um, and so I think that I just didn't have the faith and I was also a little tired and I just wanted to sort of enjoy this SIBO victory. And, uh, instead I just had to, um, deal with something else and sort of educate myself on something else. And I think the fact that I, had such a bad attitude and had such a bad reaction. It just was like a snowballing effect of negativity. So, I mean, eventually I was just able to get myself, you know, dig myself out of it. Um, and it was fine. Um, did you have any techniques that you used that, um, you know, I'm sure there are pr- plenty of people listening thinking, oh, gosh, I'm in that zone. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm finding it really hard and my internal chatter is pretty right. negative. Um, yeah. You know, how did you kind of pull yourself out from, from feeling really I wish down? I, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a, um, an answer that would be like, well, I just did this thing. And it's accessible to everybody. But the truth is that I've been doing a practice. It's a, it's a moving meditation called Qigong for eight years. And this is eight, you know, eight years in. It did something to me that taught me awareness of my chatter. So I think before Qigong, I would just have the thought and go into the panic. And I didn't even know what happened. I was just in panic and I didn't even know how I got there. Um, But having this meditation practice for eight years and it doesn't have to be Qigong, it could be uh, just a regular meditation practice or it could be Feldenkrais or anything somatic, um, yoga, anything that really builds connection to your body and awareness, like a somatic based meditation practice. It just kind of like gives you a little bit of buffer between the thought and your reaction to it where you're like, wait, wait a minute. Okay. Am I going to follow this anxiety or am I going to choose not to follow this anxiety? And that is what that practice does 
for you. And that's why, you know, I, I read a lot about people recommending meditation and yoga to people with IBS. And I think that it's not understood that, you know, meditating a couple of times is not going to cure IBS. It is that a meditation practice over some time is going to give you the tools to calm your chatter eventually, but it's not an instant gratification. Um, and I, I have other practices. I, I also do something called yoga nidra, N-I-D-R-A. It means yogic sleep, and that's another meditation, yogic-based practice. And it's a somatic meditation where you just lay down and kind of let go and surrender, and your body goes into a parasympathetic mode where it just heals. And then my Qigong teacher also gave me like a breathing practice to do um, during my SIBO treatment, which I did for half an hour a day, which was really working on unsticking my diaphragm. Um, so I had all those tools and then, you know, just also my, you know, walking is, is my, um, strategy, my really simple strategy that works for me walking with my dog when I'm feeling bad, anxious, um, negative, low energy, depressed, um, so yeah, I have this bag of tricks and I think that's really important to have this bag of tricks because that's really what you can hang your faith on. You're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know how my body's going to feel, but I know that taking a walk is going to make me feel better. So at least you have some faith in that. I know that maybe meditating will make me feel better. I know that like I will be able to not go into a panic so I don't know if that's a good answer. It's kind of like it takes a lot of work and dedication to calming the body and connecting to it. To and I really... think that there's there's no right or wrong. I think it's about what works for you as an individual and finding um, supportive practices, be it walking, breathing, yoga, meditation, qigong, whatever it is, um, bringing that into your daily or weekly routine is all it's about being supportive to the system and I think that for for many people that are well into their experience with something like SIBO it's often this transformation um, and I do want to touch on personality types because you and I've had a very interesting conversation about this which I'd love to share with the listeners um, but it's about um, us recognizing that perhaps the way we have been living our lives has been really um, has really not been setting us up for optimal health and and what I really liked about what you said earlier was that that what you were doing was not working because you ended up with SIBO and I can now look at that and as well and go how I was living my life was not working for me because I was in a really bad way and so now I look at my life and go how do I set myself up for success rather than failure and I'm not perfect every day but I'm definitely working at it um, well I'm incorporating it into my daily life now whereas I never ever ever did before and what I particularly like about walking is it's free and you can do it no matter how sick you're feeling even if all you can do is walk out to the street and come back inside you've done some some form of movement and when I'm feeling if I ever go into those kind of anxiety states um, walking I think is really powerful because you're actually moving and so that 
extra cortisol and all of the stress hormones that are flooding your system when you're going into an anxiety moment um, can often really help be moved through the body by just yep. the simple act of moving the body. So mm-hmm. it, I love walking, particularly if you've got an animal to walk. I don't have a fur baby in my life at the moment, mm-hmm. but whenever <laughs> I can look after a friend's dog, I love having them there to walk. Um, it makes walking so enjoyable with a little fur person with you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that for a person. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we are the human slaves <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> um, let's talk about personality types uh, because you're seeing a trend with our seaboers and the types of personalities that we are yes yeah um you know this is for SIBO and ibs um but i discovered you know early on into my work this pattern that i both recognized in myself so i am included And every single person that I worked with, and I would make a point of asking everyone, do you relate to this? Just to test my hypothesis. And absolutely every time people said, yes, of course I do. Or how did you know that about me? Or they really saw themselves in in these traits. And I think it's really interesting that there is an IBS personality. So, you know, what does that tell you um, about how much of this could be a part partially personality now it's not in your head um but there is sort of some characteristics i feel like that that together drive digestive issues and what i have found is that the ibs personality consists of number one being hypersensitive, being a hypersensitive person. Now, this is not um, the same as, oh, you're too sensitive, you know, you're, you, you're always reacting to what people say or, you know, reacting to things. No, it's, this is talking about the nervous system. And this is a concept that Elaine Aaron wrote about in her book, The Highly Sensitive Pe- Person. And we are about 15 to 20% of the population. So we're in a minority. And I actually think it's very interesting that that also correlates with how many people are estimated to have IBS, which is also 15 to 20% of the population. So I think that's an interesting coincidence. I don't know if it's just a coincidence or not, but um, it's something that I I just noted. And... um, the highly ner- sensitive nervous system is a nervous system. We're kind of like the alarm dogs of society. Our nervous systems are so fi- finely tuned. They're turned up. We are so sensitive to noise and lights and crowds and people's energy. And we feel and see things that other people, that the other 80% do not. And so the other 80% don't really understand us. We They don't understand why we walk maybe walk into a party and get overwhelmed by the crowds and the lights and the music um or react to foods or just are so reactive and sensitive and pick up so much um and you know this is the way the nervous system is wired everything is turned up really high and you just have to understand and accept this is my nervous system. My nervous system needs extra care. I can't live like the rest of society and work myself to death and drink a lot and um, eat a lot of junk and um, deal with a lot of stress without my body breaking down. You might see other people doing that, chugging along, 
you can't do it because your nervous system can't handle the same kind of input it needs to discharge. So highly sensitive people, you just, it's like um, no one gave you a manual for <laughs> your, your nervous system and you sort of have to figure it out. And reading this book, I highly recommend it because it sort of explains you know, the quirks that you've always had and that's just a function of your nervous system you know, being like easily frightened or, you know, not liking crowds or, you know, a, a bunch of like quirky stuff that you just never really thought about being um, attributed to your nervous system. And, you know, you need a lot of rest. You need to be really kind to yourself. Um, and you also have to know that for highly sensitive types, the mind and, and the body are even more closely connected than there are in the majority of the population, the other 80%. We can really somatize our thoughts so easily, um, especially um, thoughts about, about our bodies. So I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Rebecca, but sometimes if you think about having some sort of symptom, you can almost bring it on. Um, I particularly have had that, you know, like lately I've had this experience and I think this is like a paramenopause symptom where sometimes I just get a little bit dizzy um, and it's scary. So I noticed that if I panic about it and I said, oh my God, I'm going to faint because I have low blood pressure and I have fainted before. So I'm, oh my God, I'm going to faint. And I really, it gets bad. Um, or if I can just shut down the response and, oh, this is, this, that's that thing that happens. This is whatever. And it's just going to go away and I'm going to be fine and just do some breathing and it goes away. So I can bring it on with my, with my mind and I can make it go away with my mind. And I actually practice this. I actually practice this in my life and I just prove it to myself over and over again. And I think you can only believe it really works when you actually do it. Um, and it actually works. So, um, that's, that's the, the hypersensitive nervous system. So that's number one. Number two, um, is anxiety, an anxiety type or a fear type. So um, this is uh, the hardest one, I think, because uh, if you mix anxiety with a hypersensitive nervous system, that nervous system is like always in like high alert. It can never really relax. Um, and it's kind of inflammatory, you know, anxiety is kind of inflammatory to the system. So the remedy to anxiety is, again, having, developing faith in something, um, developing faith in yourself, developing faith in the universe, um, having that bag of tricks that we talked about of knowing how to calm down the body. Because sometimes just anxiety and uh, tightly over, overloaded nervous system can go hand in hand. So just learning how to calm the nervous system, like just something like a hot bath um, can be so soothing to anxiety. So, you know, anxiety is a tough one because anxiety can, can be physical. Um, you know, it can come from some dysbiosis of your um, bacteria. It could come from not 
breathing fully. Um, it can come from just listening to these thoughts that keep going on in your head and believing them. And these, and the, the practice of always like being 10 steps ahead into the future, which is another thing that I, I've noticed about myself and other, other people that I work with is, um, you know, if we're just ha having my first session with someone and we're just talking about all the testing possibilities, they're already like positive for A, B, and C, and like, what are we gonna do? And then what happens when it comes back? <laughs> so that's anxiety and like stopping yourself from like going 10 steps into the future. Um, and then the third one is perfectionism. Um, and this is the one that I think is the toughest one because I think a lot of people sort of wear perfectionism as a badge of honor. And um, I think it really, if you just combine perfectionism with anxiety, it will increase anxiety so much because if you're trying to be perfect and there is no perfect, it's just stressful. Um, and you know, and what if you're not perfect and what if it doesn't turn out perfectly and what if you're not in control? Um, so it's like perfectionism is the, the gasoline to the fire of anxiety. And, you know, there's a, also a relationship between perfectionism and the, the highly sensitive nervous system. I think a lot of us have grown up, you know, feeling really maybe weaker, more sensitive, be, being told, why are you always so sensitive, not being misunderstood, that we feel like we really have a lot to make up for, that we have to prove that we are as good and as strong as other people. Um, that are not as sensitive as us and we overcompensate with these with trying to be perfect um so with perfectionism comes a lot of body contractions and um it's that in itself is really bad for digestive function because if you think about it that kind of contractive fearful state um is when your body and all your organs are in lockdown. So if you fall from a tree, you're not hurt. But when you're just walking around, eating, living your life, trying to digest, all your organs are in lockdown because um, you're so tense and contracted, but your digestion isn't gonna work as well. So those are sort of the implications of the three and the three together, mixing them all together is a really bad combination and is one of like, you know, you have your five pillars, which I love, by the way, um, and ha what, you know, used myself and in, in my practice. I didn't even mention that um, your podcast was so, so very, very supportive when I had SIBO. Um, but I, I think that these personality pillars can be sort of worked just kind of like your five pillars also to bring about better digestive health, you know, working on calming this nervous system and just accepting who you are and that you need more rest and that you need to slow down. Um, calming your anxiety, loosening your perfectionism. Perfectionism is more of like a surrender. It's more of a deciding, I really don't need this. This doesn't make me happier. This doesn't make me a better person. This doesn't make me a more valuable person. This just robs my joy. And just noticing when you're, having perfectionist tendencies and calming them down. And just lastly, I just want to say one of the ways that I see perfectionism really harming people in, in terms of their healing process is that they have this idea 
of what it's supposed to look like. And when it doesn't match that, they might give up on it while it's working perfectly well. Like say they're having, they have this idea of their body should just heal in a line. Like a, every day they just should feel better and better. Whereas the reality is there's better and then there's worse and there's worse for no reason. And then there's just weirdness that's inexplainable and just going with the ride, knowing you're not in control and knowing that it doesn't necessarily look like what you think it's going to look like. And it's not a perfect journey. It's just so helpful in, and that's when, that's when having a coach comes in so handy because that's where they can kind of help with that as, as in your, when you're doing this yourself, the perfectionism just takes hold. It flares up the anxiety, the nervous system goes nuts. And it's, even if you're doing all the right foods and all the right supplements, it's just might not be working for that reason. Mm, exactly. And I've seen myself through, you know, I, I am in contact with people from all around the world every day who have SIBO. Um, I'm getting beautiful emails from people um, or messages via social media or uh, they're calling me. And I love, I love hearing from people. And I really have seen um, this trend for a personality type. And that is what you've described in that we are the, you know, the overachievers, we're the perfectionists, we have a bit of anxiety, which fuels perfectionism, like you say. And um, and there was something that you mentioned earlier just about, you know, um, sort of being all or nothing. And, and there's a lot of us that are all or nothing, you know, and I have talked many times on the podcast about how I'll either be lying flat on the couch doing nothing and being a complete and utter sloth or being or training for a triathlon or, you know, doing a million miles an hour and there's no middle ground for me. Um, and even to this point in time, I'm so, I really am very conscious of it, but I drive myself insane at times with my perfectionism. I am a perfectionist uh, through and through and, uh, and am always striving for bigger and better and greater things and, and wanting things to be perfect. And it can be so tough when you're, going through your SIBO journey because it can often be the great unknown and uh, and then when you've got that personality type that can be very very challenging and when I got diagnosed with SIBO the first thing out of my mouth was what do I need to do this perfectly (laughs) and I'm going to do this the fastest the quickest the best way that's ever been done before in in my practitioner's experience with her patients and it was a real awakening for me at the three-month mark when I had decided at the beginning it will only take me three months to get over this and at three months I wasn't over it and I really had to just relax into the journey and and stop trying to control everything and just letting my body do its job and that was about that point in time when my five key pillars to health started to develop because I realized I needed to do so much more. And for anyone um, who's not sure of what they are, I'd recommend you go back to episode one of the podcast because I go into them in a lot of detail. But it was all around awareness, nutrition, movement, mindset and lifestyle. And until I started to address those things um, and found them very supplementary and supportive to the medical treatment I was going through, it was only then that I really felt like I started to return to health. 
um, because when I was just anxious about, okay, I've got to take um, my berberine at this time and my Alimax at this time and my oil of oregano at this time and I was just focusing on the tablets and the pills and potions and I wasn't thinking about me as a person and how I needed to calm down and um, make room for health and recovery and I hadn't allowed that room into my life before. Yeah, that's the that's the missing piece. Um, that's that's the advanced stuff, actually. You know, the, the the diet and the supplements. That's the foundational. That's the beginner stuff. And you know, you have to get that worked out first. But then you have to move on to step two, kind of like the graduate school of healing, and work on the that missing piece of the your life and your emotions and how you feel about yourself and, and your relationships and your habits and this this um issue in your gut is as much of a reaction to you know maybe the bacteria and the inflammation as it is to how you feel about your life and yourself and how you how you take care of yourself and value yourself and what you prioritize. I mean this is an opportunity for soul searching and it's it, it's a, it's a it'll force you into transformation because it's too uncomfortable not to. And really at the other side you come out not just healthier but a happier person. I think everybody wants not to just be healthier but to be happier, happier with themselves, more calm, you know, more satisfied. Um, yeah, so. Definitely. And I, that is, uh, I must say that's where I am today. And, and now it's just around fine tuning rather than, and I look back at how far I've come. And if I had tried to achieve everything all at once, two and a half years ago, I would have driven myself insane. And instead, I just picked off little pieces and I did little things at a time and I'm still working on things you know getting to bed early is still is still a work in progress for me getting enough quality sleep um, is still a work in progress making sure that I'm factoring in time to be calm so that I can keep my um, nervous system in a calmer state you know I still work on that stuff um, every week and um, but I have come so far and I'm so much further down the road today than where I was two and a half years ago at my SIBO diagnosis Um, but you know it's it's really great this far down the road and I can't imagine what it will be like when I'm you know even further down the road I'm sure I'm going to be feeling even better and even happier and and even more fulfilled just in in my life just because now my health is so much more under control yeah I'm I really find your story very inspiring thank you thanks Angela well I think today Today has been wonderful for my listeners to hear another person's story of how they've, you know, um, gone through this this um, health experience, experiencing SIBO and then obviously H. pylori. Um, if people want to connect with you, because I'm sure there will be people wanting to connect with you, what is the best way for them to reach out and uh, and make contact? Oh, um, you can just go go to my website, and I'm sure you put that in the show notes, but it is um, DIY Health Blog, and DIY stands for Do-It-Yourself Health. Um, kind of came up with that because that's kind of how I, I felt when I was all alone, when the doctors just sort of abandoned me. I thought, well, I need to do this myself. 
So, um, so it's DIY Health Blog, and that's where I blog. And um, I'm actually writing a uh, ebook about my experience, so I get really into the details of what I did and how I, you know, conquered SIBO and you know the support that I had in my life. And um, this is a way for me to be able to make an impact in this space without maybe working with so many clients one-on-one, which I'm just not 100% sure that that's for me, Um, knowing, you know, my kind of empathic nature um, can only really handle a few clients at a time, it seems like. So just to make more of an impact, I'm writing uh, my story down to record everything that I've kind of learned and, and share that way. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I'm, my listeners and I look forward to um, that being available and you'll need to let me know when it is so I can share it with my community um, of people so that they can they can read that. And um, and obviously I'll update the show notes um, with a link to your ebook once that becomes available in the future. Um, Angela, it has just been a joy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story on the Healthy Gut Podcast. Thank you for letting me do it. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been such a pleasure and honor. And as I, as I told you, um, I listen to your podcast every day when I walk my dog while I had SIBO. And it was such an amazing source of support. Oh, I'm just thrilled that it uh, it has been helpful for you. And, and um, you know, that's the reason I set it up when I went to the SIBO Symposium in, uh, in June of 2016, I think it was, yeah. And I came away having learnt so much information and I had just turned up on my own wanting to know everything I could about SIBO. There's that perfectionist <laughs> coming through and, uh, you know, talk about going, wow, I'll just go to the, one of the best um, conferences where all the top docs are. Um, and But my intention for this podcast has always been to share the stories and the information to the people that need it most so that they can be educated and empowered to take back control of their health so they can live healthy and happy lives. So it really is um, just really great to hear that feedback from you, Angela, that it was really helpful for you because that was that is my intention with this podcast. Well, thank you so much, Till. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Angela Priven. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or get any of the links that were mentioned, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO journey. And there you will be able to connect with Angela. You'll also be able to click the link to see more about the SIBO coaching program. And if you have SIBO and you feel like you need just that little bit extra help, particularly around the lifestyle and emotional aspects of living with SIBO and I know all too well what that's like having done it myself. I've been there, done it, got the t-shirt. Then the SIBO coaching program could be a really great support for you and it could be part of your dream team of healthcare professionals. I've got a wonderful group of people going through the program at the moment and we are taking registrations once again. They have found it incredibly beneficial. Not only have they learnt more about their condition through our weekly webinars and uh, we have some amazing specialists coming in through the webinars to provide you with extra information about your condition. 
but they've also met other people just like themselves. So they no longer feel alone or isolated with this quite debilitating and often very painful and socially isolating condition. And that just fills my heart with joy that people from all around the world now feel like they're part of a little SIBO family. So head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO journey and you'll be able to get the link for the SIBO coaching program on that page. I love seeing your reviews of the show. It really helps me to know that I'm developing content that you love. It also really helps other people who are looking for a podcast around SIBO and gut health to know that this is the right kind of podcast for them. So head to iTunes or the app you use to listen to this podcast and leave a rating and a review, which really does help other people. And make sure you come say hi to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. Just look for us under The Healthy Gut. Coming up on next week's show, I'm doing a live podcast recording once again, this time with the lovely Dr. Norm Robillard, who is the creator of the Fast Tracked Diet. So we touch on the Fast Tracked Diet, but we also talk about what a robust microbiome or microbiota looks like in your body. And we do this coming to you from his gorgeous garden in Boston. We had such a fun afternoon. We had a lovely group of people come and join us for that recording. So I do hope you enjoy next week's podcast with Dr. Norm Robillard. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. And as we are fully funding this podcast, if you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast so that we can continue to bring you future episodes, all you need to do is make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.